Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Let's us bow in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Fathers, we prepare to open your word today. We're going to focus on a passage that tells of a situation that brought Jesus Christ to tears. And Father, if he, the pure, holy, perfect Son of God, completely sinless as he walked upon this earth, if he could come to a place where his heart was broken. It's not surprising that we can too. So Father, there are moments like that. And there may be some in this room right now for whom such a moment is relevant to their life. And so Father, we ask, as we talk about and look at a hard and a sorrowful moment that your spirit would grace us, your spirit would let us see past the moment, and that your love, the marvelous, wondrous love of God, would just guide us through your truth today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All around the world, as we've said before, All around the world today, tens of thousands of churches and untold millions of believers will be looking at the same scriptures and searching out the meaning of the same red letter words spoken by Jesus. Now, for a couple of months, we've been doing that. We've been examining the words that came right out of Jesus' mouth, the words that are printed in many Bibles in red ink, the red letter words of Jesus Christ. Here's the ones we're going to look at today. They're found in the Gospel of Luke, verse nine, chapter 19, verse 41, and the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, verse 37. And here's how it reads, our red letter scripture with a little bit of introduction to it. So here it goes. As he, that is Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Now just a few days earlier, These words had come from his mouth also as he was considering this this great city of Jerusalem. Matthew 23, 37 says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers together her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus painted a picture for them that day. He tried to put something in their mind that might look like this image we have this morning. Linda and I checked out dozens 
of possible images we could give you. And rather than giving you all 15 or 20, we chose this one. A mother hen, four little chicks. Two of them looking up at her like, Mom, we're okay, right? Everything's all right? They didn't even ask, how come we're here? They're just... They just know it's all right. Mom has said, run, and they have come. Now, it's interesting. This image here that Jesus drew for the crowds of his day and has preserved for us in the scripture, this image is not one that great artists throughout the centuries have chosen to either paint or sculpt. Nowhere in the great cathedrals of Egypt, of Egypt, is Egypt of Europe, is there a marble statue made by Michelangelo depicting a mother hen and her chicks. Can't find them anywhere, and yet Jesus gave this picture as something that would communicate truth. Most of them over the years have have. Uh, preferred to use their talents to depict Jesus as he said in another place as the good shepherd probably holding a lamb I grew up in Sunday schools years ago where almost every Sunday school had a picture of of Jesus in his beautiful robes holding a little white lamb and and it's like boys and girls Jesus said I'm the good shepherd My sheep hear my voice. They know me. And here's what it looks like to be loved by Jesus. Not so much. The mother hen and the chicks. And yet Jesus had a point that day. He chose that illustration. A mother hen sensing danger, providing protection to her little ones. But now as Jesus shared that image... And all the people around him had it in their head. Most of them probably had mother hens running around in the backyard of their homes. They were much familiar with this. But to that image that day, Jesus added a condition that is seldom, if ever, seen in nature. Little chicks who refuse to come and accept the protection provided just doesn't happen in nature. The mother hen lets out her protective cluck and wherever they are, they come. It's built right into them. And she opens her wings and they come and she surrounds them and whatever the danger might be, she does her best to protect them. And they trust her. From wherever they are, they come. I doubt if ever in nature the mother hen gives out the warning sound and the chicks say no. They don't come. If it ever happened, it would be enough to make the mother hen cry. It was enough to make Jesus cry. He said, oh, how I would love to be viewed as a mother hen How I would love to have you view me as your mother hen. And I would just want to protect you from all that's coming. I would want to protect you from any evil there might be. 
Uh, but he said, I've longed for it. But it didn't happen. Now that most unnatural, that most unusual red letter depiction leads us directly to today's key concept. And here's what we share. Just take it. If it's hard to take, realize life is hard sometimes. Some truths are not as well and delightfully received as others. But here's what it says. Sorrow over the resistance of human beings to the call of Christ. That's what Jesus was depicting. He's the mother hen. He's giving a call. And he says, those who need protection do not come. Would not come. And so when we put it on a human level, we're just saying there are people who hear the call of Christ. There are people for whom we communicate the call of Christ to them. Come to Christ. Be saved. Have your sins forgiven. Know that that mansion in heaven we sang about in that, that picturesque way is really in your future. And how many believers, how often, give that call to their loved ones, to their children, to their grandchildren, to their next-door neighbors, to the people they've grown up with, and, and they say, come to Christ, come to Christ, and the person they're referring to and directing it to do, does not come. And so we say sorrow, because see, when they do not come, it grieves the one who is seeking to reach them. Sorrow over the resistance of human beings to the call of Christ is a sorrow like no other. That's the title of our message today. We're talking about a sorrow that's like no other sorrow. It's a sorrow that was felt by Jesus himself. And I have no doubt there are those of us in this room today, those of us and you who are receiving this message at home, who can say, I know. It's true. That one-of-a-kind sorrow is mine. And whenever I think of this one, Whenever I think of those that, that I desperately want to see come to Christ, whenever I think of their resistance, their rebellion, their, their unwillingness, it just grieves me so deeply. It's like, hurts like nothing else. It's unique. You see, our red letter words today identify a most sorrowful, perhaps the most sorrowful moment in Jesus' earthly life. It was a moment that brought him to tears. And even though he knew the plan of God for man, even though he knew the Old Testament scriptures prophesied that he, Jesus, would be despised and rejected by men when it actually happened, the reality of it all broke his heart even as the resistance of those we love to the call of Christ can break ours. It's indeed a sorrow like no other. 
this morning as we reflect upon this sorrow of the Savior over the lost, and upon our own as well, I want to share with you three underlying realities. Three, three truths that, that come to light and that reflect the reality of anyone who is feeling sorrow like that. If you feel this sorrow today, I want to share some things that are true of you. Number one, and hopefully these might even strengthen your resolve to continue in your efforts to reach out. Number one, the presence of such sorrow, if it's there, the presence of such sorrow demonstrates the presence of true faith. Only one who truly believes in Jesus Christ as Savior of the world is capable of feeling such sorrow over someone who rejects him. You see, it comes from knowing what is at stake. Jesus truly knew what was at stake, and so do and must we. We cannot forget what is at stake, what the teaching of the scripture is. Let's just review some of that, remind ourselves this morning. Number one, we find in Romans chapter 3, 23 and Romans 6, 23. These are verses that tell us that all men are sinners. That's being lost today. There are probably even Christians who find themselves fudging on that. Well, we, we, we're Christians. We believe this set of truths, but there are other people who believe other things. And, and then there's a whole great movement in our country today that would actually deny there is any such thing as sin. Because sin means there's a standard and you've broken it. More and more people today are believing that you are the standard. So whatever you choose to do, whatever is real to you, true to you, well, of course that's right. And who are we to say that just because you choose to do something differently than I might, that you are somehow sinning? But the Bible says all men are sinners. All men have rebelled against the standard of God in one way or another. And the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. An eternal judgment of God upon that person. It's appointed unto man once to die, the Bible says, and after that to face judgment, an evaluation. And if you are found to be short of what God finds acceptable, then there's a judgment, an eternal separation from the goodness of God and the person. Mark chapter 10, verse 20, 45 Jesus paid the price of sin on Calvary. Mark 10, 45 is the verse we looked at last week in some, uh, some depth. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, you don't need a ransom paid for yourself unless you're in a jam, unless you're in bondage. 
unless you're in some kind of prison, as it were, and Jesus is willing to pay the price to get you out, the ransom, which happened to be the giving of his own life that we will remember on Friday of this week. Called Good Friday for the worst thing that ever happened to Jesus Christ, but the best thing that ever happened to the world. He paid the ransom. That all of those who are imprisoned by sin, if they so choose, can accept his payment for them. And they can be freed from the judgment of God. Freed from the domination of, of sin. But also... We understand under the the fullness of our faith, all men who yield themselves to him will be saved. There must be a yielding of ourselves to Christ. John 1.12 says, but as many as did receive him. You might say, as many little chicks that ran in under the wings. As many as received him. To them he gave the right, the privilege, the opportunity to become eternal children of God, assured of a heavenly home forever. And then I would add, as as part of the, the true faith, that yielding to Christ must be conscious and deliberate. Your parents can't do it for you. There are people in this world who are trusting in what their parents did for them when they were babies. Well, my mom and dad had me baptized. I'm okay. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. It said, as many as received him, that means the receiver is doing the action and is embracing Jesus Christ, which a baby, of course, could not do. So nobody else can do it for you. I went to church all my life. I've been a good church member. Good. The fact that church exists doesn't mean that you're saved from the consequences of your own misdeeds. And so the yielding to Christ, the person must do deliberately and consciously. Paul says in Romans 10 verse 9, he said, If you, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's something that actually comes out in the presence of others. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God did in fact raise him from the dead, which means he's a living Lord right now. That's what we we declare next Sunday especially. God raised him from the dead. Paul then says, you will be saved. But see, these are actions that need to be taken. These are decisions that need to be made. These are confessions that must be part of our our view of life and how it functions in order to get under the wings of the mother hen and be saved from the disaster that will one day come upon this earth. And so using our analogy of the day, the little chick... The little chick must recognize that the danger is real and that the danger is near and must run to the protection that the mother hen provides. Receive the salvation that Jesus Christ died to provide. Now see, if, if you believe that, if that true faith is within you, 
then very likely there's a real sorrow in you over any loved one who has not embraced it. How could there not be? That sorrow in you demonstrates that you actually do believe the faith. You believe that what the Bible says is in fact so and that this person's destiny comes under the heading of biblical truth. And unless they do what the Bible says must be done, they are not going to be saved. They are not going to avoid judgment. And that thought is almost unthinkable when it's focused on one you truly love. So the first thing we say today, the presence of such sorrow in your heart demonstrates that the presence of true faith is also in your heart. Second underlying reality, the presence of such sorrow demonstrates the presence of true love. The deeper the love, the greater the sorrow. Story is told, it's found in in Mark chapter 10, that one day a, a young man came to Jesus. And he was a fine young man. He said, good teacher, what must I do? See, he he knew it wasn't just what his parents had done. They had him circumcised when he was a boy. They had him raised in the Jewish faith. But he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus tested him a little bit, and he, he said, well, keep all the commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments especially. And this young man said, I've kept them all since I was little. I've kept them all. He had done that. He had agreed to the standard. He had done his best. And you might say, and he's probably pretty proud of himself. He might someday even become a Pharisee that everybody looked up to. And the Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And just loved him. He wanted to know. He wanted to know how he could be sure that his life was right with God. And Jesus set up a test for him. To really ascertain what was in his heart. And Jesus said, go then. There's only one other thing I would tell you to do. Go and sell all you have and come follow me. And let me be your provision for the rest of your life. Trust in me to guide you even as, even as these disciples here. They've left everything to come and follow me. I say the same to you. Go. Sell everything you have. Everything that might be the source of your joy might be the source of your confidence in life, might be the source that you say, no matter what comes up, i got enough money to handle it. I mean, honestly, isn't that a good feeling? Don't raise your hand, but anybody got so much money in the bank that you'd say, no matter what comes up, i got the money to handle it. At least I don't have to worry about that. What if you really were in that situation 
And that really was your confidence. And no matter what happens politically or whatever, you are, you are not worried because you got enough money to handle it no matter what comes along. Even have your assets diversified in such a way that if this goes down, this is probably going up. And you just say, man, I'm glad I was smart enough to do this. And then what if Jesus said, well, here, here's something. Because I love you. I love you and I want to spend eternity with you and I want to make sure that your heart is given to me as the Son of God. And so I'm going to ask you, go sell everything you got. Give it to the poor. Give it away. And then you come and follow me. Do you, can you come to the place of saying no matter what comes up, Jesus can handle it as opposed to I got enough money to handle it. But the Bible says the man's face fell. He was absolutely blown away by that. Nobody had ever actually put it that way that maybe his money was a detriment rather than an asset and it said he went away sorrowful. It was Jesus' love for that young man that put that before him. It was Jesus' love for that young man that wanted to make sure that young man's trust was in the Almighty God and not in the Almighty Dollar. Think how much Jesus sorrowed when that young man went away sorrowful. The mother hen had said, come, I'll take care of you for the rest of your life. I'll guide you after I'm gone from this world. I'll send my Holy Spirit to guide you, to teach you, to to comfort you, to put peace in your heart, to provide everything you need to live a life that is full and abundant. If you'll just take your hands off all the rest that you're trusting in. Those were words of love for that young man. They were not cruel. They were words of love. The Bible tells us Jesus looked at him and loved him. And when we share our faith with someone, and when they turn it away, when they resist it, and we feel that that ache in our heart, that demonstrates the level of love that you have for that person. And you know you will talk to them again and again and again. You won't talk to them harshly. You won't talk to them trying to badger them into belief. You won't talk to them and put them down or criticize their life. You will just talk to them as though you love them as much or above anything else and that you want to see them spend eternity in heaven with Christ and with you. And you will keep on. And you'll keep on. Even though every time you do and every time they continue to resist, the sorrow in your heart will get even deeper. Jesus' love. See, he asked this fellow to give up his riches. Jesus' love knew no bounds. 
In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul says, Why, when Jesus came to earth, he emptied himself. The young man who came to Jesus would not even yield his earthly riches. Jesus yielded his heavenly glory. His great love created his great sorrow. The Apostle Paul knew something of this. The Apostle Paul was a Jew. The Apostle Paul loved the Jewish nation. They were the people of God. They were the chosen ones. The Apostle Paul had devoted his life to being a leader in the Jewish community, to be a Pharisee, to practically have the Old Testament scriptures memorized. And he followed them diligently. But in Romans chapter 9, verse 2, Paul says, I just have great anguish in my heart. This is the Paul that said, I've learned in everything to be content, right? Whether I have a lot, whether I've learned in all things to be content. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the same Paul who says, I have unceasing anguish in my heart. Well, what about? He says, because my brothers, the Jews, have rejected Christ. My brothers, the Jews, the whole nation has officially turned its back upon Jesus Christ, the Savior sent from heaven, the one that Paul started out persecuting the church, and Jesus appeared to him, and Paul fell to his knees and, and embraced Jesus Christ, if you will, the mother hen, and said, I will stay under your wings forever. But as soon as he made that decision, he was struck with horror to realize he probably had brothers and sisters in the faith. He might have still had living parents who considered Jesus Christ to be a blasphemer, who considered him to be a false prophet, who considered him worthy of being put to death. And every time from that moment on, Paul thought about a fellow Jew. He said, it just rips me up. I have unceasing anguish in my heart over my fellow countrymen. And so we ask the question here, can we ever be truly at peace knowing that loved ones are lost? You see, it's a sorrow like none other. When we fear that a loved one is facing God's judgment, we sorrow. We say, what, what can I do? What more can I do? We ask God. Now, we understand God has his plans that are way beyond our plans. We understand that at the very last seconds of life, someone might come to Christ, but, but when they're right in our face saying, I don't believe that stuff. I don't believe that stuff. It's foolishness. I don't know how you can believe it. When we hear that from those we love, our heart takes a blow, a deep blow. And that leaves this third underlying reality that I'd share this morning. The presence of such sorrow not only demonstrates the presence of true faith and demonstrates the presence of a true love, it draws us. The presence of that kind of sorrow in our heart draws us into the very heart of Christ. 
we become like him. He wept. He longed. We walk in his steps when we do the same. Don't give up weeping over those that you love who have not yet come to Christ. Do not give up longing that, that they might understand what you understand and that they might come to him. Do not, even if it hurts you and pains you, Realize that every moment you spend feeling that pain is a moment that you are linked more tightly than ever to the heart of Jesus Christ. Because that's what he feels. The Apostle Paul once said he wanted to know Christ and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I tell you, when you share in Christ's sorrow over the lost, You are sharing in his sufferings. And you're being brought into a fellowship that can be created no other way. And in that experience of suffering, Jesus would invite us to come under his wings. His wings of comfort. And in that place of safety and peace, our heart... And our resolve to continue to share the good news can be strengthened. So we come to our final thought. We say this, sorrow over the lost, especially those whose names we know and whose faces we recognize, is indeed a sorrow like no other. It is a sorrow our Savior shares with us, for he knows and recognizes them all. It's a sorrow that conforms us to him. Maybe you've never thought about the fact that as the Holy Spirit is given to us to shape us into the very image of Christ, we only think of the good stuff. We're going to become more like Christ. We're going to become more loving, more peaceful, more kind, more gentle, more all of this. But do you ever think that as the Holy Spirit makes us more like Christ, there's an element of us that that we're going to become more sorrowful than ever. The state of the lost, especially those that we can put names to, those whose faces we recognize, those that we love. The very fact that at this point they are outside of Christ, they are lost in this world, they are not yet embracing his love and his, his death for them, that will forever increase and keep us in a place of sorrowing. And that is part of becoming like Jesus himself. I don't know. I don't know, but I can picture this. Some of us in a car going to visit family on a holiday. Jesus was going to Jerusalem, right? And it was when he got his first glimpse at the city is when he just wept and said, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. Can you imagine yourself driving down the road 
on a holiday to, to visit one of your dear relatives who hasn't yet, you know, the family that just doesn't embrace Christ and isn't saved and has no desire to be saved. Can you imagine the final turn before you, you come to their home and their driveway, you just stop the car? Your first look at their house? And you say, oh, oh, how your heart breaks for them. And you remind yourself that you're not going with, you're not going to that place to argue politics with them. You're not going to that place to let them know how their favorite sports team is really made up of jerks. You're not going to that house to let them know you're the favorite one in your family. You're not going there to settle some old score. All of a sudden, you realize you're going to visit some people who are heading toward the end of life without Christ. And nothing else matters. And you might even bring yourself to tears. It might be your own mom and dad you're going to visit. It might be grandpa that you're going to visit and, and it just, all of a sudden, you might as well be Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has you in that, that very same place. And in that moment, if you truly believe what you say you believe, if you truly love them as, as your own flesh and blood, there'll be a sorrow in your heart that is the evidence of all of that. And you'll ask God and you'll say one more time, may there be an opportunity somehow for me to show your love, to express your truth, and may there be an openness. You might even say, use the image in your mind. May there be an opportunity for me to just spread my wings and let somebody come running under. Let me tell them how they can be saved for all eternity and how the very struggles they're facing right now, God can give them grace to get through it. And God can bring glory through it and goodness through it. They can trust him. They can trust him. And they just pause that last bend in the road and then head on your way and say, Father, my desire is they come to know you. I don't know what's going to happen, but my desire, my love for them is that they come to know you. If this is your plan, if you can use me today, use me today. See, that's our, that's our final thought. We find ourselves right on the road with Jesus, right at that final turn before he saw the city. Now, let me just add, I didn't put this on your sheet because I wanted to add it at the end, what I just call an addendum this morning. A word of encouragement. Though sorrow, though sorrow might well be part of the story, Sorrow is not always the end of the story. Remember Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, 40 days or so after Jesus' resurrection from the grave and after his ascension to heaven, there came the day of Pentecost. And on that day, recorded in Acts chapter 2, to use our analogy of the morning, 3,000, 
3,000 of those little chicks came running to Jesus that day in response to the preaching of the word and the convicting of the Holy Spirit. Your little chicks might yet come too. Heavenly Father, it is not common to refer to sorrowful things as being helpful. Father, we human beings would seek to avoid sorrow at all possible. But Father, there is a godly sorrow, a godly sorrow that Jesus himself felt because it was inevitable. You cannot love and you cannot know and not sorrow over those who do not know. So, Father, I pray. I pray that, as Paul said in a different place, godly sorrow can lead to repentance. And that's the sorrow of the sinner, but, Father, our sorrow might come first. That these folks might know we care for them so deeply. We love them so much. And we believe what we believe so firmly that we are forever just trying to draw them in. Draw them into faith and may see, they see the love. Avoid the argument and find rest for their souls in Christ. This we ask now in his name and for his sake. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.